If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, the passage will be up behind me. Thank you, assistant. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, tonight we're going through a passage which is, to me, is one of the most powerful that I've ever read, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. It's your Son, Jesus. As we go through this passage tonight, open the eyes of our hearts. Give us wisdom. Help it to glorify you as we go through and we talk about your Son, Jesus, the foundation of our faith. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and thank you for your blessings, and we just pray this now in your name. Amen. If none of you knew who I was, if you had no idea who I was, never even heard of me, and you're driving on Santa Maria Way one evening, and I pull up next to you in my beat-up, dirty 2004 Honda Civic. And I scream, pull over, pull over. And I'm trying to get you to pull over the side of the road. By a show of hands, who would pull over? None of you? I'd hope not. Now, what if I pulled up next to you, and I had lights on the roof of my car, <laughs> and it said Santa Maria Police Department on the side? How many of you would pull over then? You see, by having Santa Maria Police Department on the side of the car shows that I would have the authority to. I would have the credentials. The main theme of John's gospel is the person of Jesus. It answers the question, who is Jesus Christ? And in these first five verses, we see the credentials of who Jesus is. Towards the end of John's gospel, in John 20, 31, he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I'm going to lay out four credentials, four major credentials of why we should worship Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But before I get into those credentials, I want to define a term. It's the word, the word. Because in the first 18 verses of John's gospel, what we call the prologue of John's gospel, he applies this word to Jesus, and it's in the only place in all of his gospel where he applies this word to Jesus. The word's logos, not legos. <laughs> logos, L-O-G-O-S, not L-E-G-O-S. He applies it to Jesus here. And why does he apply it to Jesus? What I love about John's gospel is how theological he is, how deep he is, 
These first five verses sizzled the brains of theologians for hundreds of years. Logos, the word. You see, all through history, the Greeks, you have the Greeks, thinkers, you have Aristotle, Socrates, Plato. And they try to come up with this, this idea of ultimate meaning in life, or ultimate reality. And so they had a word, logos. And it meant in a divine mind, divine thought. And that's what was reality, some impersonal divine mind. So you had the Greek thinkers. But then you have the Jews. And how the Jews viewed the word was different. Logos was speech. It was utterance. It was related to creation. In the beginning, God created. He said, let there be light. He spoke, and there was light. So logos is tied to revelation. But to the Jews, logos is also tied to revelation. Isaiah 1.10, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Micah 1.1, the word of the Lord came to Micah. Ezra 1.1, speaks the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, being stirred, which was a fulfillment of the word given to Jeremiah. So the Jews saw Lagos as, as creation, being tied to creation, being tied to revelation, but also salvation. The word of the Lord does not come back void. What it sets out to do, it accomplishes. So they see it tied to creation, revelation, as well as salvation. So you have two major streams of thought coming together. You have the Greeks and you have the Jews. And John ties them together and he points them to Jesus Christ. So any Greek listener, Greek-speaking Jew, or Greek Gentile would know exactly what he was doing. But why does he only apply Logos to Jesus in these first 18 verses and nowhere else in his gospel? See, in, for instance, the disciples believe the word of Jesus, the Logos, Logos of Jesus. Many more believe because of his word, Logos. If you continue in my word, Logos, then you're truly my disciples. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Logos is truth. So why does he only apply it to Jesus in these first 18 verses? Because if he would have started, in the beginning was the Son of Man, or in the beginning was the Son of God, we'd only be looking at one aspect of who Jesus was. Son of Man, we'd be looking at the humanity of Jesus. Son of God, we'd be looking at the divinity. What John does is he takes this broad term that the Greeks and the, and the Jews would have known, and he, may, he encompasses all of Jesus's, all of his attributes, a comprehensive view of who Jesus was, and he does it in the first five verses. It was brilliant. So the Logos puts these two major streams of thought together and shows this is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is ultimate reality. Yeah. And that's what the word is, Logos. John addresses both the Jews and the Greeks, and he does it with a sledgehammer in the first five verses. Let's get to the credentials. The word is eternal. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Verse 2, he says, he was in the beginning with God. He re reiterates the concept in the beginning multiple times. As you read John's gospel or his, his letters, you'll see that he, he writes in a circular way. He makes a point, eventually he comes back to it. In these first five verses, he comes back quick. He's like saying, Paul, don't be a knucklehead. I told you Jesus was in the beginning. No, seriously, he was in the beginning. It's kind of like my wife Amanda. She's got to tell me something sometimes over and over again because I'm a knucklehead. 
And it takes me a while. What kind of fries did you want? Did you want the steak fries? Did you want the thin fries? What kind of fries did you want? I don't know what you want. And she has to tell me over and over again. John understands that we have to know he wants to make it a point that Jesus was in the beginning. He reiterates it. Whenever reading the Bible, we should always try to put ourselves in the seats of the audience as well. The listeners of the first century, what, what would they have thought about this? In the beginning was the word. John's taking them back to the creation account. In the beginning, when God created, Jesus was there. The word, Jesus, did not come from the beginning. He was in the beginning. He always existed in the beginning. You see, the Greek word was, the word in the beginning was the word. It comes from the root Greek word, aimi, which in John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I've always existed. That's what it means. Jesus in John 8, 58 is an obvious reference back to his deity. He's pointing back to God the Father in Exodus three fourteen, When Moses says, who shall I say sent me? Tell him I am sent you. So in the beginning, Jesus existed. He just is. Jesus always existed. He's eternal. He had no beginning and he had no end. He has no end. Can you imagine Jesus and God the Father together before space and time? There was no time. I've got a time clock here. We go by time all the time. If I got 15 minutes until this. I got 20 minutes until this. We rely on time all the time. Jesus existed before there wasn't even time. It, I can't even fathom it. Then John continues with the phrase, the word was with God. Not only has Jesus always existed eternally, but he was with God. Now we're starting to see a distinction in persons. He was with God. The word that John uses here with with, it's, in the English, we don't really get a sense of it. It's an intimate relationship. It means face to face. In the beginning, Jesus was face to face with God. So we're starting to see a distinction in person, but we're also starting to see how this intimate relationship existed even before there was space and time. The listeners of John's letter would have been amazed by what John was saying here. Because the Jews in Exodus 33 knew that nobody, including Moses, could see God face to face and live. The only person that could live through eternity face-to-face -face with God the Father is the God-man, Jesus Christ. So our first credential, the Word is eternal. He's always existed. And he always existed face-to-face -face with God the Father. The second credential, the Word is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. We now come to one of those important pieces of text that I believe is in the Bible, that the word was God. The New English translation says the word was fully God. Christianity's foundation is based on the person of Jesus. If you get Jesus wrong, you get Christianity wrong. If you get Jesus wrong, you get the gospel wrong. It's as simple as that. You have, for example, you have the happy door knockers who come to the doors on Saturdays. They want to tell you that Jesus is a created being, that he used to be an angel, or that he's a lesser God than God the Father. 
Or you have secular people who aren't even in a religious camp, secular people. They'll tell you, well, Jesus was a great teacher. He was a great moral teacher, got, taught some good stuff. What both of these positions don't consider, though, is the Gospel of John. Because John himself, the Word was God. He makes it very clear. And all through the history of the Christian church, they've affirmed the doctrine of the Trinity. Early church fathers, all the way through creeds. For example, the beginning of the Nicene Creed, 4th and 6th century. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. The Belgic Confession, Article 8, which is in the 16th century. According to this truth and this word of God, we believe in only one God, one only God, who is one single essence in which there are three persons, really, truly, and eternally distinct, according to their incommunicable properties namely the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. The Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things visible and invisible. The Son is the Word, wisdom, and image of the Father. The Holy Ghost is the eternal power and might proceeding from the Father and the Son. Nevertheless, God is not by this distinction divided into three, since the Holy Scriptures teach us that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost have each his personality, distinguished by their properties. But in such wise that these three persons are but only one God, hence then it is evident that the Father is not the Son, nor the Son the Father, and likewise the Holy Ghost is neither the Father nor the Son. Nevertheless, these three persons thus distinguished are not divided nor intermixed. For the Father hath not assumed the flesh, nor hath the Holy Ghost, but the Son only. The Father hath never been without a Son or without his Holy Ghost. For they are all three co-eternal and co-essential. There is neither first nor last, for they are all three one in truth and power in goodness and in mercy. If you have kids, grandkids, and you're trying to explain the Trinity, don't read the Belgic Confession to them. <laughs> You'll probably lose them pretty quick. There's plenty of resources out there, though, where you can take this complicated idea, abstract idea, and bring it down to a concrete level that kids can understand. I'd highly recommend Dr. William Lane Craig. He's a Christian philosopher, and he's got a series called What is God Like? And it covers the attributes of God. And in it, he talks, one of the books, he talks about the Trinity, about being three persons. And he uses analogies in there that kids will understand. The Trinity is like a triangle. You have three sides, three equal sides that make one triangle. You have, more, you have three pieces of fruit that make one fruit salad. So he takes a complicated idea like the Belgic Confession, something long like that, and he brings it down to a level that kids can understand. Why am I telling you about the doctrine of the Trinity? Because it's very important. It is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. It's a closed-hand issue. John, you hear in our passages affirm that Jesus, the Word, is God, co-eternal and co-equal with the Father. He tells us in a later letter how important it is to understand who Jesus Christ is. 1 John 4, 1 through 3, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you may know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming now and is in the world already. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. John talks about it in John's gospel. And who is Jesus Christ? He is the Word. The Word was God. Jesus Christ in 1 John is the same Jesus Christ that's in John's gospel. If somebody tells you that Jesus is not who John says he is, he's got the spirit of the Antichrist. That's how serious this is. John's gospel is the gospel. Jesus Christ, who he is as a person, is the gospel. What does Paul tell us if you're speaking something different than the gospel, even if Paul says it? Galatians 1.8, But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Ananthema. It's anathema. It means beyond being redeemed. It's like an animal being slain. They take it seriously. You get Jesus wrong, you get the gospel wrong. That's why, I'm, that's why I keep beating this horse here. The doctrine of the Trinity, it's very important. Who Jesus is, very important. It makes no sense either to say that Jesus is just some great teacher, that he's some great moral teacher. Because Jesus himself, even all through John's gospel, claims divinity. John 5, 17 through 18, after healing a man on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father's working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling his own father, calling his God his own father, making himself equal with God. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus had hid himself and went out of the temple. To claim to be God was to speak blasphemy. So they picked up stones to stone him. John 10, 30 through 33. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. If Jesus was such a great teacher, and that's all, then the whole Gospel of John is speaking blasphemy. Because John says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He wasn't just a great moral teacher. He was God. You get Jesus wrong, you get the gospel wrong. Second, so the second, first credential is God, the word is eternal. Jesus is eternal. The second is that Jesus is God. The word is God. The third credential, all things were created through the word. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that has been made. He's making sure, here again, he's reiterating, he starts with a positive affirmation. All things were created through him. And then he rounds it up with a negative affirmation. Without him was not anything made that has been made. Without Jesus, there would be no Santa Maria. Without Jesus, there would be no beautiful sunsets at Pismo Beach. Without Jesus, there would be no cinnamon rolls. It'd be awful. Without Jesus... We don't have any of this. All things were created through him. He's making sure that we know that Jesus created all things. There was a heretic by the name of Arius. 
in the fourth century who taught that Jesus was subordinate to God and that Jesus was a created being. The first council of Nicaea in the fourth century deemed this teaching heresy, but it's still around today. It's Jehovah Witnesses. They're a modern day Arianism. They say that Jesus was a created being. But in their gross misrepresentation of the Bible, in their gross translation, which takes out any kind of claim to deity that Jesus has all through the New Testament, they actually get verse 3 right, which is kind of sad. Because if all things that exist were created by him, and Jesus is a created being, the logical conclusion is that non-existence created existence. You don't have to take a beginner's class in philosophy to understand that that is absurd. Jesus could not have created himself if he didn't exist. But in the beginning was the word. Jesus has always existed. He is eternal. He is the first cause of everything else. We see a great parallel of all, of all things being created through Jesus in Colossians. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the word is eternal. The word is God. All things were created through Jesus. And then we get to our fourth credential. The word is life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What I love about the Gospel of John is that it's written in deep layers. It's written not to be a throwout track. When you go into the, meta, when you go into the, the doctor's office and you pull a magazine from the magazine rack, you read an article in that, you read an article out of one of the magazines, the chances of you going back and reading the same article over is pretty slim. They're written to be read once. You read a Dean Kuntz suspense book, you're probably only going to read it once. Stephen King, you're going to read it once. But you pick up Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, and you will want to read it over and over and over because you're going to find different meanings as you read through it. The Gospel of John is written the same way. It's got deep layers, and John writes it hoping that you will fall in love with who Jesus is as you read over and over and over his gospel and you get to learn who Jesus is. It's not written to be a throwout track. And so you hear this word light and you hear the light comes into the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pretend, which is really hard because most of you probably read the gospel of John. Let's pretend you've never read it before. When you hear this idea of light coming in darkness, if you've never read it before, what do you think of if you just read these first five verses? You think of creation. Let there be light, and the light goes into the darkness, but the darkness does not overcome the light. We would be thinking about that. We'd be thinking about light related to creation. But John's writing in anticipation of getting into deeper meanings behind light. If you go through the rest of the Gospel of John, you'll see that he loves to make contrasts between light and darkness, life and death. You see it over and over. He makes these contrasts. John 3, 19 through 20, he says, And this is the judgment. 
The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now we get a fuller picture of what John is talking about when he talks about in him was life and the life was the light of, the, of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. So the question is, is John speaking of life, light and life in verses 3 and 4? Is he talking about creation? Or is he talking about spiritual truth and life? The answer is yes. He's talking about both. He has deep meaning. There's layers in here. Not only was Jesus, through him, all things were created. He was the light. All things were created, and he created life. But he's also truth. He's spiritual truth. And that light penetrates the darkness, the lies of the world system. He's talking about both. 1 John 2, 9 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Here's this contrast between light and darkness. 1 John 2, 11, but whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Those who are spiritually dead do not listen to the truth. One of my favorite interactions in all the Bible is between Pilate and Jesus. In John 18, 37, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone is, who is of the truth listens to my voice. The ironic thing is that Pilate's staring truth in the face, and he's asking him what truth is. The word is the truth. Jesus is ultimate reality. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John contrasts life with spiritual death. death. We see, for example, John 5, 22. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. John 8, 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So we see that this light can... Uh, relates to creation, but at the same time, it relates to spiritual life as opposed to spiritual death. There's one more thing here. We, we hear about the light coming in and the darkness not overcoming the light. John writes with multiple meanings. So you hear this idea of overcoming. And the only English word that can really portray what he's saying here, this overcoming, is the word grasp. That's the best uh, it, reason or de definition I've seen in English language, to grasp. Now, when you hear the word grasp, it can mean two things. It can mean grasp at a mental knowledge, to know something, to grasp it. Or it can mean grasp to hold on, to control. Those three Americans who saved many lives in Europe last week, they grasped onto the terrorists who had that machine gun, they held on to them and they overpowered him. Thank Jesus that he, they did. That's the second meaning of grasp. So what does John mean here in grasp? Or what does he mean with overcoming? 
In a way, he means both. But I think the emphasis, as we read more through John's gospel, is he's kind of thinking of the knowing, to know, to know the light. He means, more, he means both, but there's kind of more emphasis on to know the light. For instance, in verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Multiple meanings. But there's more emphasis on, on the knowledge, knowing God. There is ignorance. The time of ignorance is over. I think the flow of thought would point to the first, but there's both of them. There's multiple meanings. There's layers through John's gospel. And if you just read the first five verses, you only get a, a slight picture of what John says throughout the entire gospel. All through history, mankind has been searching, seeking out truth. And as Paul tells the Athenians in Acts 17, he says that you seek and you seek, you search in the dark, but God's not that far from us. In him we move and we have our being. In him we move. He's quoting back to their own pagan philosophers and he's pointing them all to Jesus. John's doing the same thing when he talks about in the beginning was the logos. He's tying the Greeks. He's tying the Jews' streams of thoughts. He's tying them together. He's showing this is found in Jesus. He's relating to the people that are listening, and he's relating it to us today. All through history, the Greek philosophers, though brilliant, never really understood what ultimate reality was. It was in a person, Jesus. And John makes that clear in the first five verses of his gospel. Darkness has always existed. It's around us everywhere. We see it every day. We have people shooting people on live television. We have people murdering others for ideology, religious ideology, idolatry. We have kids, we have babies that can't defend themselves being killed and videos coming out. The light is coming out, but the darkness does not know it. The darkness does not consider it evil. But we have the word who has always existed and all things are made through Jesus. We have hope amidst the darkness. God did not leave mankind hanging. Even from the beginning in the fall, Genesis 3, he did not leave us hanging, but he gave us a glimpse of the gospel that there would be a redeemer. This redeemer is the word who's always existed face to face with God the Father. The light has come into the darkness, fulfilling this promise. Jesus, who has always existed. Jesus, who is God. Jesus, who through all things, all things were created through him. Jesus, who is life and truth. He is our authority. That's why we bow down to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. John's gospel gives us the authority and the credentials of Jesus. John wants us to be absolutely clear who our Lord and Savior is. He wants us to fall in love with the word, Jesus Christ. If you need a reason not to be afraid of the, our circumstances around us, if you need a reason not to threat, not to worry, don't put your hope in government. Don't put your hope in the world. You got, don't put your hope in what candidates are coming up. You put your hopes in Jesus. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the word. That's who we put our hope in because he has the authority and he has the credentials for us to bow down and worship him. No matter how dark it looks around us, he's our hope. Jesus has authority over everything because it's all created by him. 
He even has authority over that police officer that pulls you over for speeding. John 20, 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this time tonight going through your word, about the word, your son Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, your son Jesus, who is eternal, all three eternities, face to face with you, Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who is God, through whom all things were created, the sunsets we have here, the beautiful weather we have here in Santa Maria, it's all because of you. It would not be here if it weren't for you, Jesus, the word. May we glorify you as we leave tonight. And may this weigh on us heavy of your glory and what you've done for us. Next week, we're going to be going through the incarnation, the word made flesh. Then that truth is an amazing truth. It's amazing grace. I just pray that you will just... Soak this truth, just sink it into our hearts, that it becomes a reality as we live out our days. And just thank you for everyone here tonight to be able to make it. And just thank you to be able to talk about your word without being persecuted, about your gospel, the good news. In your precious name, amen.